98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Robert Kemp. Tonight's headlines. Hong Kong sees a record daily high number of new coronavirus infections. More major Western media outlets say they're thinking of pulling staff out of Hong Kong. And Donald Trump announces a shake-up in the team organising his re-election campaign. Health officials say they've confirmed 67 new COVID-19 infections in Hong Kong today, the biggest total since the pandemic began. 63 of the newly confirmed patients contracted the coronavirus locally. In 35 of those cases, the source of the infection is not clear. In both cases, those figures are also new highs. Dr. Tuan Shukwan from the Centre for Health Protection says the situation could still get worse. As far as I can recall, I think this is the um, highest number of um, daily uh, recorded number of cases in Hong Kong since January. I, I cannot say that this is a peak because usually you can only say this is a peak after afterwards. So there's still a chance that uh, more cases are coming. More major Western media organizations say they're considering moving staff out of Hong Kong. This comes after the New York Times announced it was transferring a third of its Hong Kong staff to Seoul after a reporter was denied a work visa. Here's Jimmy Choi. The Wall Street Journal confirmed in a news report that it was weighing the possibility of relocating staff to other bureaus in light of the new security law. In its report on the New York Times move, the journal also quoted a CNN spokeswoman as saying that the broadcaster would consider its options if its ability to operate in Hong Kong was compromised. A Financial Times spokeswoman also said it would consider its options, but had no immediate plans to move staff. Meanwhile, the New York Times reported last night that its decision to reduce its presence in Hong Kong came after its veteran China correspondent, Chris Buckley, was denied a work permit for the SAR. Mr Buckley was one of several staff forced to leave the mainland. He's the second journalist known to have been refused a work permit in Hong Kong, following Victor Mallet of the Financial Times. Police say some 2,000 people have been evacuated after a suspected wartime bomb was unearthed at a construction site in Kai Tak. Forces bomb disposal team has been dispatched to the site at the intersection of Concord Road and Mokun Street to deal with the device, which is said to be around a metre long. The MTR says trains are not stopping at Kai Tak station. The public have been urged to avoid the area. Federation of Youth Groups says many candidates who sat this year's DSE exams feel their performance was undermined by the COVID-19 outbreak, as well as the social environment in the city. Federation says half of some 500 students it surveyed found the exams to be highly stressful, and many felt they lacked academic support while classes were suspended because of the pandemic. Here's the Federation's coordinator, Xu Xu Man. For those that relate to the pandemic, yes, we have a question related to any worry about the pandemic that will yeah, induce uncertain prospect. Uh, yes, about 25.8% young people, they opt this option. I think, of course, the students, they feel in this question that they may have different interpretation. But for us, we say the so-called social issue is related to the social unrest and protests uh, during the 2019. United States, Canada and Britain have accused hackers linked to a Russian intelligence service of carrying out cyber attacks against organizations trying to develop a coronavirus vaccine. They haven't specified which organizations have been targeted or whether any information has been stolen. But the UK says the vaccine research has not been hindered by the hackers. 
President Trump has announced a shakeup in the team organizing his re-election campaign. As opinion polls continue to suggest that he's trailing his Democrat rival Joe Biden. Mr. Trump has replaced his campaign manager, Brad Pascali, with a senior advisor, Bill Stepin. The BBC's David Willis explains why Mrs. Stepin has taken the role. He was Brad Pascal's deputy, who would now be taking over from him, in large part because of that fateful rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, last month, a rally that was intended to reboot President Trump's re-election campaign. It um, failed dismally. The campaign claimed nearly a million people had requested tickets for the event, but um, were subsequently forced to concede that just over 6,000 people had actually attended. With four months to go to the election, this is late in the day uh, to be shaking things up. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Menon's economy returned to growth in the second quarter after a deep slump at the start of the year as lockdown measures ended and policymakers stepped up stimulus steps to combat the shock from the coronavirus crisis. It reported an unexpectedly strong 3.2% expansion in the second quarter over the same period last year. But despite the figure beating an analyst's forecasts, there are concerns that this growth cannot be sustained in the longer run. Iris Pang, Greater China Chief Economist at ING Wholesale Banking, told Anna-Marie Evans why. It is a big surprise for me. It is so good that uh, I can't really believe it. Uh, and looking at the article uh, submitted by the National Bureau of Statistics, there is actually no breakdown on the GDP components. So um, I calculate my own. Net export contribution uh, rose 8.8% year-on-year in the second quarter, and infrastructure production rose 4.4% year-on-year in the same period. These two are the sources of growth uh, for the second quarter because uh, otherwise we can't really see positive growth elsewhere. For example, retail sales and asset investment, those are all in contraction in the second quarter. So we believe that this is not sustainable. Now, the Statistic Bureau spokeswoman expressed confidence that things are looking up. Do you share her optimism? Um, I share partially her optimism. For example, we did see pickup in foreign demand in June, uh, faster infrastructure investment in June, and um, some uh, some categories in retail sales. But in general, retail sales is particularly weak and we are quite worried on this item because it means that consumers who even get hold on a job saves rather than consumes in, in June, which turns better uh, uh, in, in, uh, for the economy. So this is something that we worried. And for net export, I don't think that it is sustainable. The reason for high net export growth was due to very, very low import growth in uh, the second quarter. Infectious disease experts have urged the government to further tighten measures to curb the community outbreak of COVID-19 if new patient numbers remain high in the coming days. Wendy Wong reports. David Ho from the Chinese University says many private companies aren't allowing staff to work from home because the government hasn't taken the lead in doing so. He says he understands that officials want to maintain public services and therefore they've brought in flexible working hours as a way to mitigate coronavirus infection risks.
But he says he still sees crowds in the streets and on public transport, increasing the chance that the virus will continue to spread amid a recent surge in infections. Asked if the government should be letting civil servants work from home to encourage the private sector to do the same, Dr Hoy said he believed authorities will modify their strategy if infection figures remain high in the coming days. Public health expert Leung Chi Chiu from the Medical Association has echoed the sentiment. He says working from home can help break the chain of virus transmission in the community as fewer people will gather in crowded offices and dine out. He's urging the government to let civil servants who are not providing emergency services work from home for one or two weeks. Hong Kong University microbiologist Ho Pat Leung, meanwhile, is calling on the government to close and disinfect indoor wet markets where confirmed COVID-19 patients have either worked or visited. He says indoor markets are often crowded, which makes it easier for the virus to spread, and authorities should also restrict the number of people allowed to enter the markets and require people to wear face masks. The DAB has staged protests outside the U.S. consulate in Central, condemning what it calls Washington's interference in Hong Kong's affairs. The party says President Trump's signing of the Hong Kong Autonomy Act will harm the U.S. because the country has an annual $30 billion U.S. dollar trade surplus with the SAR. DAB lawmaker Holden Chow told Benny Choi that Washington's criticism of Hong Kong's national security law is nothing more than a smear campaign. We are here to condemn the United States president signing the Hong Kong Autonomy Act into law because that is a blatant interference in our domestic affairs. I think this behavior is, of course, is stupid. We have seen that the U.S. politicians time and again, they have been distorting the nature of the national security law. They even wrongfully accuse that the national security law would infringe the freedom of Hong Kong people. But that is wrong. We urge them to stop interfering in our domestic affairs. If they carry on with the Hong Kong Autonomy Act, eventually it will cause harm to their business interests. So how do you see the U.S. consulate of not accepting the letter? I find it ridiculous because it only shows that they are holding a double standard. Because when we talk about national security, we all know that the United States, they have a whole set of draconian national security law to safeguard their own national security. But when we talk about our own national security, they would interfere. So that only proves that they are holding a double standard. Executive Councillor and Barrister Ronnie Tong says he can't see how the opposition camp's recent primaries for the next LegCo polls breach the national security law. Mainland officials have accused the pan-democrats of trying to control the legislature to paralyse the government and subvert state power. Mr Tong says the primaries could breach the fairness of the upcoming elections. Some candidates may not properly declare their election expenses. But he told Jimmy Choi he doesn't think the organisers or the candidates involved committed offences under security law. As far as I can read from the newspapers, uh, the so-called primary uh, does not on its face uh, involve the use of force or the threat of use of force or any unlawful means nor is there any evidence of any involvement by foreign power. So I think while uh, the intent to uh, interfere with the proper functioning of LegCo was perhaps clear, uh, the so-called primary uh, doesn't on its face satisfy the uh, other elements which I have just mentioned. So I think uh, it it is necessary for the relevant authority to look into the situation. Uh, I do not think at the moment, on the face of it, uh, there is sufficient evidence to suggest 
that either of those two crimes had been infringed. But um, some pro-democracy candidates did say that they would veto all government plan legislation if they were elected. Could that be against the national security law in any way? Well, I think uh, it is uh, the right of any legislator to uh, object to any uh, uh, resolution or legislation under the basic law, in particular under Article 50 and 51, there are references to a situation if the budget were to be vetoed by LegCo. Uh, provisions then uh, goes on to provide uh, as to what would happen. Uh, it certainly, uh, to my understanding, uh, is not an indication that by vetoing the uh, budget would be uh, the, the legislators involved would be committing a crime. If we were, uh, other 50 and 51 would not need to uh, go on to deal with uh, how the chief executive should respond to such a situation because uh, a, a criminal act would have no legal effect uh, and therefore there would be no need for the chief executive to adopt a certain course of action in the face of the budget being vetoed. So I would, I would construe uh, are the, uh, you know, the basic law, in particular Articles 50 and 51, as impliedly accepting that the mere fact that the budget uh, uh, is being vetoed does not constitute uh, an unlawful act. Business and Professionals Alliance lawmaker Priscilla Leung says she's seeking re-election in Cowan West, but isn't optimistic the pro-Beijing camp will get the three seats it is eyeing in the constituency. The camp currently holds four of the six seats after winning two by-elections in the last four years. Ms Leung says she's more experienced when it comes to issues relating to LegCo rules than other pro-establishment election candidates, Yan Chan and Vincent Cheng. I'm an experienced legislator with the expertise of public law that will help solving different matters like filibustering or some more challenges to come. The opposition carry the objective to paralyze our whole legislative council. We cannot allow them to happen. Reminder of our top stories tonight. Hong Kong sees a record daily high number of new coronavirus infections. More major Western media outlets say they're thinking of pulling staff out of Hong Kong. And Donald Trump announces a shake-up in the team organising his re-election campaign. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Tutorial centres say it's unfair of the government to make them close for two weeks while other businesses such as gyms are only shut for a week. The centres say there's no scientific basis for saying they pose more of a risk of spreading COVID-19 given that only three cases have been linked to students who attended tutorial classes. Trevor So from the Education Centres Union told Timmy Sung that many businesses could now be in jeopardy. There's only one industry need uh, to be stopped for two weeks, just the tutorial centers. So compared to our industry, like uh, gym room, which need to be stopped for only seven days, this is really an uh, unfair policy from the government. And can the tutorial center survive this? I don't think so, because from the last time the epidemic um, happened, so 
not that serious like this time, I think. So that's why the closure for our business may be much longer than the before because last time already stopped us around five months. So this time maybe 10 months, I don't know. So the future is still an unknown now. But don't you think it's right that tutorial schools also close for some time to help uh, dis- uh, help uh, stop the spreading of the virus? I think that it's hard to say if it is appropriate or not because in the point of view about the students' health, uh, of course, we need to stop it. But we need to survive. We, we are not a perfect school. We are just a business. So we need to run a business with our staff. They also have their family. They need to earn their living. So I think that if we have good conditions, like control the ratio between the student and the tutor, just one tutor, three students in a big classroom, and we can do more disinfection in the classroom with surgical masks. I think we can be good enough to run some small size classes. The government has offered a $40,000 subsidy to tutorial schools. Does that help? It doesn't help at all because, you know, just 40000 it it doesn't help even for one month course about the rents and the salaries of the staff. So that's not helpful at all. Do you want the government to introduce a third round of subsidy? Yeah, of course, of course, because when the government stops some business, at least they need to talk with the business owner or the the industry to talk how to compensate, compensate your loss. And also there are uh, music schools, there are interest classes, there are also playgroups. Are these operators receiving help from the government? No, they didn't have any at all. They're the only industry. Uh, the government didn't pay them any compensation about the anti-epidemic funding. No, we don't understand why. For for example, some shops like the a retail shop, they don't need to get a license and they can just open a shop and and do their business uh, anytime they want. So they need to just uh, just send the government the PR and a picture. And they get, they can get eighty thousand. That's not reasonable and not fair at all. Trevor So talking to Timmy Song. Well, the government has discouraged dining in during the latest surge in coronavirus infections. One expert is urging people to stay away from poorly ventilated restaurants altogether. University of Hong Kong professor Yugo Lee has studied COVID-19 clusters at a restaurant and on two buses on the mainland, as well as on a cruise ship in Japan. He says poor ventilation can aid airborne transmission of the virus. Janice Wan asked him if he thought this was behind a number of recent COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong connected to restaurants. Well, you can speculate, but you cannot tell exactly. You don't have the data to, to show it happened. However, if you look at many outbreaks that we know by today, then you find out that close contact transmission uh, became important. Uh, We know social distancing uh, works. And then if you think in the other way, why ventilation played a role, my reasoning is that it it, it somehow made 
a normally long range distance uh, trans- airborne transmission, a long range airborne transmission, and basically is I call it extended short range airborne. So uh, uh, there is a possibility that uh, people actually get infected even during close contact with short range airborne. So, so when you when you say short range airborne, and does this mean a um, does, does, I mean, does this mean that a COVID nineteen is airborne? Can it be transmitted in the air? Well, I do consider the uh, when you are in close contact. We normally talk about droplet transmission. I mean, droplet transmission refer to the large droplets. Uh, and we really don't have that really large droplets, and this is amazing. If you uh, look at from mechanistic point of view, I mean, look at the physics of droplets. Then you find out uh, the inhalation play a more role than a deposition, what we call deposition. Right. So, I mean, up until now, the WHO has said um, airborne transmission is a possibility, but that more research needs to be carried out. So, you disagree with that? Well, we, we uh, it's not uh, disagree. Uh, evidence for any of the rules do not exist at the moment, including uh, droplet transmission. And it, it's, it's a I consider the all uh, a hypothesis, but the uh, people need to look at uh, the transmission route for all other uh, respiratory infection, and that's where we, you know, we are working to know a little bit more about the transmission routes. I'm really not sure, uh, and but the, the question is very often we don't have the data to study. I mean, study a transmission route involving. A, uh, to obtain uh, the detailed, some of the data uh, related to uh, privacy and, and, and also access to the building is very, very difficult. And, and from the findings of your study, do you think uh, we need to change the, the strategy, I mean, the current strategy we're using in dealing with the coronavirus? Well, uh, uh, at least I, I believe that uh, the, the, the fact that we are all uh, having a mask, uh, and that's probably right, but probably for a different reason that uh, uh, many people think. But in terms of uh, ventilation, uh, which I advocate uh, in yesterday's uh, media release, uh, I think this one is very, very important, in particular uh, in our city. Do you think all restaurants should be closed and offer only takeaways then? Would that be safer? If the ventilation in those restaurants are not so good, and, and then even it is not for uh, this pandemic, it's not healthy for people. So during this period, it's really not a good idea for people to gather in those restaurants. And, and what advice do you have for workers who have to work in poorly ventilated offices or restaurants or passengers who have to travel on crowded public transport? I mean, we, for restaurants, we have to thank those uh, workers and, uh, and give us food. But on the other hand, the air is what you and I uh, uh, share, uh, and it's a public thing. It's very difficult for any individual to improve it. But that's why I call the owners of restaurants, and any, anyone who owns the space can do something. I guess for others, we can only avoid very little thing we can do. The term of the current Legislative Council ends this week. It's been a very eventful four years, to say the least, with the future of many lawmakers now up in the air. 
Earlier this week, the head of the pro-Beijing DAB party, Starry Lee, expressed regret that the legislature has become what she called a protest battlefield. She said all sides should be rational and tolerant when the legislature starts afresh in October. Mike Weeks asked Cheng Chou-Yung, a political commentator from City University, if he sees much hope of that. I'm afraid not. I think that probably is not a uh, realistic assessment of uh, what will be happening in the next legislature, given the political differences and fundamental political problems that are facing the community as a whole. Therefore, I, I think Star Release <laughs> hope probably would not be realised. These uh, political problems obviously exacerbated by the uh, protests that took place through most of the last year, which set off a number of firsts in the Legislative Council. Yeah, yeah I think um, that also indicates that, um, that the legislature as a political institution, in fact, has um, been uh, losing its capacity to resolve fundamental political differences in the community. I, I think that that is a very worrying uh, problem for Hong Kong as a whole, because if we cannot really resolve that and to revitalize the political uh, cap- uh, capability of the legislature to resolve our differences, then I'm afraid the uh, problems, polarization, confrontations, extra-institutional kind of confrontations, all this will go on. Why do you think it can no longer resolve Hong Kong's fundamental political differences? Well, I I think there are a few main problems. One, naturally, uh, is the fact that the balance of power within the LegCo, because of our electoral system, the lack of um, uh, democratic development and all that, has undermined its legitimacy uh, in the eyes of the general public. The balance of power within LegCo does not reflect the general public opinion or political support we can find in the community as a whole. Secondly, of course, the increasingly uh, confrontational and polarized politics we are having in Hong Kong also uh, undermined the proceedings uh, and the business kind of a dealing strategies of the legislators within the LegCo, making it polarized some of the times, making quite a substantial number of the opposition members, they may just disrespect some of the proceedings or rules and regulations there. And that also led to, for example, in the early years of this legislature, the disqualification sagas and, and etc. Therefore, it, it is increasingly incapable of resolving fundamental political problems in Hong Kong. How, how do we restore the, the sort of um, uh, decorum, I guess, in the Legislative Council? How could that be restored? Well, in fact, I'm not optimistic about this, uh, the, the, the prospect of this, because one thing is uh, without uh, a kind of a democratic development that is being perceived as more or less fair and acceptable to the majority of the people in Hong Kong, the LegCo itself could not really resolve that problem. Secondly, now with the enactment of the new national security for Hong Kong, it seems that uh, both Beijing and the Hong Kong authorities, they are now more and more relying on uh, legal and and sometimes you you, you may call it more coercive kind of um, measures in order to tame the so-called opposition and their supporters. And that, that would not are built conducive to political institutions uh, resolving political differences in a more normal manner.
Cheung Cho Young speaking to RTHK's Mike Weeks. The United States has posted a new daily record of over 67,600 new coronavirus cases in a single day. The worst-hit nation has seen infections surge since last June, mostly in the south and west as states try to reopen. California, Arizona, Florida and Texas reported a total of more than 450 new deaths, raising the US toll to more than 170,000. Despite all of that, members of the White House have in the past few days been criticising America's top infectious disease expert. Dr Anthony Fauci has been urging caution and for people to wear masks. The BBC's Cathy Kay is in Washington. There's been this kind of fiasco over the last 24 hours where we know that there are rifts between certain people in the White House around the president and Dr. Fauci, who has been counseling states not to open up very quickly and has been more and more outspoken over the course of the last week or so in criticizing those states that do so and in criticizing America's performance. Well, the president doesn't like that. That's not what he wants to hear. He wants to open the country up. He wants to open schools up. And he wants, as he just said there, to make sure the messages that the White House is doing a good job. Out steps his trade advisor, Peter Navarro, and writes this scathing critique of Dr. Fauci uh, in the country's biggest newspaper, biggest circulation newspaper, USA Today. And it's hard to believe that this would not have had the tacit approval um, of the president, because the president, really, it's what the president wants that goes in this particular White House. Um, at the very minimum, Peter Navarro circumvented the usual protocols and didn't get this passed by the communications office. You have the president there distancing yourself from Peter Navarro, saying he shouldn't have said that. And Dr. Fauci asked about Peter Navarro's comments, uh, this trade advisor's comments, saying, listen, he lives in a different world from me. It's mm -hmm. weird what he's doing um, and distancing himself from it as well. Dr Fauci trying to concentrate on getting this virus under control. Those stories are part of the Newswrap programme which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Robert Kemp from our newsroom. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organisers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to
deserve all the applause. Summertime in Venice, played by Mantovani. Mantovani and his orchestra, that's why it sounded so good. The man we're all talking about. The man who influenced Matt Monroe. Perry Como. It's impossible. Tell the sun to leave the sky It's just impossible It's impossible Ask a baby not to cry It's just impossible Can I hold you closer to me And not feel you going through me Split the second 